Yeah, we're good. All right. Welcome back, Matt. Are we recording? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have pushed the button now. Yeah. All right. So Rob and I have been trying to get another episode out for a number of months slash weeks. <laughs> and we recorded one, uh, the start uh, the start of one a few weeks ago. And when we went to go listen to it afterwards, we realized that the processor in the machine that was recording our episode was a little too slow. and we were basically jittery and decided to just scratch that content because our listeners would have been quite frustrated. Well, they would have been wondering why they were suddenly turning into the robot podcast. <laughs> right. That's basically what happened to our voices. Hey, third time's the charm, right? Plane talk podcast, spread aviation podcast, robot podcast. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. Rob, you and I uh, flew back from Jersey. That was fun. Yes, we did. When was that? That, that was, was like, June. Actually, yeah, it was only about that was two, a month ago. It wasn't a month ago. Yes, it was. A month ago? Yeah. That was a really good time. It was my first time up in a while. Yep. You got to do a little bit of flying. And that was great. You got to fly from your hometown airport. Yep. The one where you took your first ride. Yep. I've flown out of there one other time with Dave. And it was the first time that he showed me a um, soft field takeoff. It was interesting. That's a that's a decently long ish runway there. It's not too bad. Yep. I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the shortest one I've ever been into by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a nice location, and it's conveniently located just down the road from your house. Yeah, you could walk through there if you really wanted to. No, I'm lazy. I mean, you could. I mean, it's like <laughs> a you could do a run, be a nice run. Yeah. And then, um, uh, so the biggest question I have to ask is, how did you like Manville Pizza? Oh, it's delicious. Right? Such good pizza. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's a $100 pizza. Kind of hard to screw up pizza. Like, pizza is one of those things where you've got, and my my preference, meat, cheese, sauce, and then I have been fooled with delicious... Cauliflower crust. Cauliflower crust. It's so good. It is really good. That's why I came over to Rob's tonight after getting my new laptop for the fourth time, which is actually true. And oh, and we were recording this on your old one, which you gave to me, which I rebuilt. <laughs> right, four laptops ago. Yeah, yeah. In the last four and a half weeks, I've had actually, I've used, I've had four laptops. I had my old one, then I had one new one, then I had a second new one, and then today I have a third new one. Not going to bore you with the details, but if you're curious, hello at spreadaviation.com, a simple email, and I'll tell you that story. Oh my god! But anyway. So I come over to Rob's tonight, and uh, he had told me that there were, was going to be a cauliflower pizza, and I had a slice, and I said, oh my gosh, this is absolutely amazing. I'm never eating anything else again. This is great. He's like, Matt, actually, that's not cauliflower. Yeah, that wasn't crust. like pizza. That wasn't I was, was going to be so excited. I thought that like there was now an equivalent of Beyond Burger, an Impossible Burger for cauliflower pizza. Nope. Sorry. Yep. Oh, well. Well, and I had, we've had cauliflower crust pizza in the past from Costco, and this was just some other freezer pizza Got it. that we that we threw together it so. is so good though sorry so back to jersey so you stayed at my parents house that was the first time you met them right um yeah. in you, person yeah yes. i've talked with your dad over the phone uh-huh. uh but that was it yep so you got to stay at good old hillsborough new jersey meet my parents hang by the pool for a little bit that was fun yep oh and i do i did enjoy the inflatable mattress i don't know what it is about those i I, get a kick out I offered you the bed, but I mean, nope. all right. Nope. Flatable mattress. Yep. And like a drill sergeant, Rob woke up the next day. He's like, let's go. Let's go. We've got to beat the weather. Oh, 900. Oh, 900. That was probably 07. Yeah. I decided to go for a run. Although I was actually pretty punctual that day. I don't recall. No, we got to the <laughs> airport at like three of nine. Oh yeah. Cause we had, so we weather. had to make arrangements because mm-hmm. the line crew kids weren't going to be there to pull us out of the hangar. The airplane had to go in a hangar because it was going to rain that evening. And it's a fabric airplane, so I wasn't going to have that sit outside. And I was moving it for a client. So it was, uh, yeah, we had to work an arrangement for when the line crew kids would get there. And, you know, talking to them the night before, they go, what time do you want to leave? And I go, well, I want to leave at 8 (laughs) a.m. What time do you want to get here? <laughs> they said, well, how about nine? I went, okay, fine. And I'll let them, it's their summer vacation. Let them, yep. you know, have a good uh, Sunday night or whatever and, and uh, you know, come on in. But, you know, it, it was all right. It worked out. We got there a little bit before uh, before they did, and we were able to get into the hangar anyway, but to get the pre-flight started and pack the bags up. 
And then they came out, opened the doors, and, and let us out. This is actually the coolest part. I, I've never really realized how those three-door hangers turn into one large door. Yeah, and th- in that case... The three doors just go up, and then you just unhook the... Yeah, you, you unhook the center pillars, yeah. the center tracks, and then <laughs> you they just slide. They're on their own rails yeah. up at the ceiling, and they slide out to the sides. They just get out of the way. That was awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, so, yeah, then we... Uh, We're spending we... a lot of time talking about hangar doors when we could be talking about flying... I was about to say, then we departed. (laughs) Up the Hudson River at 1,500 feet. Yep, we departed to the west and and did a 180-degree turn headed east to uh, quickly get us to the Hudson River corridor. only took us, what, 10 minutes to get there? Yeah, something like that. It was such a quick flight. It wasn't long at all. And uh, approached just south of the Verrazano and... The VZ. Flew left over directly over the Verrazano and we're we're about 1,000 feet that I were at 1,500. 1,500. Yeah. I did not have an altimeter. <laughs> and I was telling you up, down. Uh, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Using foreflight. That was fun. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so it's such a great experience. Uh, Rob, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, I've now gone through the Hudson Quarter with you three times. Um, if I'm counting bi-directional, it's, it's a few more times than that. But can you tell us about your first experience flying over the Hudson Quarter and what that was like for you? Uh, my first experience down the Hudson Corridor, um, man, do I remember the first time? That's, that's a good question. First of all, what is it? Uh, it's airspace that, well, I mean, you're is flying down the Hudson Corridor. technically a VFR River. corridor? Do those even exist anymore? So there is a non-controlled area down below the Bravos. That you need to get on uh, AOPA or some other, um, uh, of uh, you don't need to know online training. Things. No, 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 you do. <laughs> um, yet you need to get on and do an online course if you're going to fly below a thousand feet. Now, I don't recommend you fly below a thousand feet and not talk to anybody, but you could scoot down the Hudson way down low and just self-announce on basically a common traffic advisory frequency that you're down there and you call passing these different checkpoints and you'll find, you'll learn all about that on the training. However, I don't like to do that because I don't really want to be that guy. That's, that's not talking to ATC. I like ATC. They're, yep. they're friendly folks. They're there if you need them. And they're they're great. So and why are people fearful about talking to them? Oh, I mean, people don't want to sound like fools on the radio. But frankly, everybody who talks well on the radio now communicates well. Started off communicating rather poorly. Like breast ramp. Yeah, breast ramp. Breast Good ramp. job, Matt. My first time on the radio when we were at Hanscom, my first Discovery flight. Go back nope. to episode two. Well, no, if you no, want no. To hear actually, like we did Discovery flight. This was probably like. You know, less than four. You or already five. told the story. I know, but we'll <laughs> we'll just tile it again. Dave turns to me, and says, "Do you want to do the radios?" I was like, "Sure." I was like, "Handsome Tower, Skyhawk Five, One, Two, Three, Four, Five, Whatever." At Breast Ramp, ready for taxi with information, Mike. And I said, hey, "Not Breast Ramp, West Ramp." I don't know where Breast came from, but anyway, I, I do. No, anyway. no, nothing to do with that. Uh huh. Sure. Anyway, so. uh uh, there's this online training you can do, and it talks about all the things you have to have to uh, should comply with when you're flying down, not talking to anybody, just self-announcing where you are, so you don't touch other airplanes. But also, you can just get flight following. And I, uh, the first time I went down through there, ah, I know when it was. I was in a super decathlon, going to the Wildwood Acroblast contest with a student named Rob Pinkston and it was his first aerobatic contest. I believe it was my first full aerobatic contest. I'd been to some practices and we flew down the Hudson at 1500 feet, took a bunch of photos and then we went down to the contest and we did our thing over the weekend and then we flew back up North and, and did the same thing on the way back. Uh, and he is now the chief pilot for the Collings foundation, which is uh responsible well they they take care of maintain and fly all around the country to different air shows uh a bunch of world war ii airplanes they have a b-25 a b-17 a p-51 a p-40 uh they even have an f-4 phantom and there's a bunch of other stuff 
and they're headquartered in um, in Massachusetts. So they're actually right down the road from us. Um, but that's kind of the kind of comes down to the people you meet again that I've that I've talked about in the past. But yeah, that was the first time down the Hudson Corridor was in a super decathlon and I did take a bunch of photos and some very sloppy video on uh my old iPhone four. Just stuck it in the window and let it record as we were flying down through there. Uh but no, that was a good time. And I've done it since then in one seventy two, two oh six, Piper Seneca, extra two hundred. Uh have been anything else? No, that's pretty much it. Yeah, a bunch of stuff, super decathlon, so uh, been down there with a the, with the, a bunch of airplanes, and it's basically the same experience every time. Mm-hmm. Call up ATC and say, "Hey, I want to fly the Hudson." And they're like, "Okay, you want flight following? Yes, I do. All right, cool. Stay at either two thousand or fifteen hundred." The nice thing about fifteen hundred feet is the Freedom Tower is seventeen seventy six, mm-hmm. so you're actually a little bit lower than it, mm-hmm. which is really neat. As and you the pictures by. don't do it justice. No, not at your all. Right wing. Not at Pictures all. Pictures do not do it justice. And I swear all Seems of Boston. so much closer. I swear all of Boston will fit in Central Park. Yeah. That city's really big. Yeah. It's yeah. it's huge. And Gigantic. that park is big. Um, and, I, you know, we should measure it next time. <laughs> we can get on Fort Flight and measure it. It'd be fun to do it in person while we're, you know, distracted flying. Just kidding. Yeah, just great. Kidding. Um, great. I'm just kidding. So... <laughs> You know, it's 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 funny, and and Rob, you were flying before. Actually, you were not flying before this, but I'm sure you've heard of people uh, who were flying before September 11, 2001. But the, you know, there was fear that after 9/11, the VFR corridor. Uh, I, I I keep using that term. It's not technically a VFR corridor. Well, there right? is a VFR corridor down is there. It? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can um, say that. So the, the the corridor, the Hudson River corridor, uh, was, you know, people were concerned that they were going to restrict that. Um, and or make it not feasible anymore to fly it. And uh, I know that prior to 9-11, there were many more areas that you could do that kind of flying. Uh, and I don't know the specifics around this. Oh, yeah, D.C. Yep. D.C. was much less restrictive. Yep. Um, and, you know, that frankly, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have really any problem with that. Um, so, I mean, what I'm getting at, I have a point, though, is sure. is that, you know, we have listeners from all over the world, and we've got Tammy in Australia, we've got a bunch of people over in Europe, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't think, it's really hard to describe just how awesome of an experience it is, and just how much of a privilege it is to be able to fly that so close to the city. I mean, you are right there, and uh, it's breathtaking, and I think that anybody who is, who has the opportunity to try it one day should. Yes, absolutely. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. You should definitely, especially you know, circling over the the Liberty Statue of Liberty a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. Ask an ATC if it can get an orbit around the Lady, and mm-hmm. uh, they'll, they'll usually be able to comply with that. And you'll see helicopters that are uh, flying around down there around seven hundred feet, or maybe they're at a thousand. So you'll you'll see those things. So if you're if you're interested in taking the online safety course, go to faasafety.gov and search for New York City Special Flight Rules Area. And that way, it'll uh, you can get through uh, the required training for the course in order to fly down the Hudson. And uh, FAAsafety.gov is a great website. Also, create a login account, and you can get Wings credit towards flight reviews and other great resources that help improve safety amongst uh, aviators. So, real good stuff on FAAsafety.gov. The rest of the trip was uneventful. We flew for another hour and 15 to an hour and a half and landed. Yeah. I mean, it was straight line. I mean, yep. it, we, we were fly we, around we, that. We went around, around some storm. clouds to make sure yep. that we stayed VFR. But I mean, other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, it was point the airplane and go. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, we went from uh, basically, basically Wildwood, New Jersey um, on gas. All the way up to Brunswick, Maine, which is a it's a haul. I mean, it was it was a ways. Yeah, yeah, it was neutral. It was about one or two knots, if anything, (laughs) of tailwind, and that's the disappointing part. Is you'll you'll fly down maybe on a calm day, like all right, I'm going to get this stuff on the way back, or (laughs) and a couple days later, and it's it's just there's nothing there. Mm. Oh man, come on. So all right, let's talk about that guy in Ocean City that. 
that landed an airplane in the water. Huh? You didn't hear about that? No. Ocean County? Nope. Right off, uh, right off Jersey there? You know where I'm talking. Or it was off of Maryland. Ocean City, uh, Maryland. No. Yeah, it was a Cessna 172RG. Okay. And apparently had some engine problems. Yeah. And he geared up into the water just offshore. You didn't see this? Well, I didn't see it. I have been to Ocean City, Maryland, and it is beautiful down there uh-huh. if you ever get a chance to go out on the boardwalk. Oh, yeah. However, very recently, a, a Cessna 172RG made a forced water landing. Uh, <laughs> kid did a great job. 23-year-old. I say he's a kid. He's a 23-year-old uh, grown grown man there. Uh, Trevor Deal. Uh, I don't know exactly what was wrong with the engine, and it would be... Uh, Great to to kind of find out because anything that we can learn from this may help others. But uh, yeah, had some engine problems. Realized he wasn't going to make it back, so he, he did a great job landing the airplane in the water, uh, gear up, and uh, yeah, it looked like a good ditching. Hmm. So, you know, and, and why to, in, why in that case would you want gear up? Because uh, as soon as you know, what's the first thing that's going to get to the water? The gear. It's going to be the gear, and yep. it's kind of like. Uh, uh, karate Kid, Johnny sweeping the leg, it's gonna it's gonna put you on your face, mm-hmm. and you don't want to flip over, be upside down, disoriented, possibly whack your head on the on the control column, and uh, then have water filling the cabin uh, where you're trying to breathe. So it's better to go in with the gear up and not have the airplane flip over, and then it can kind of fill slowly from your feet up, you undo your belts and everything. And, and uh, you, you can extract yourself from the airplane a little bit better. Now, in that case, is it also okay to use uh, flaps, for example? Well, flaps would be kind of a situational thing. I think having a little bit of flap on the airplane um, would help you get to a little bit higher. Um, or It wouldn't necessarily help you get to a higher pitch attitude, but it would allow you to get to a much slower speed. Uh, for the touchdown, um, but, uh, you know, in this case uh, he did land flaps up. Uh, I'm not going to say that he did, uh, anything other than the best possible job that he could because it was a good outcome. And, you know, I, who am I to second guess that? I mean, great job. After I landed on a road, I spent a couple of weeks replaying it in my head. and, And I was finally told by my mentor, like, dude, what happened happened. You did the best that you could and it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, that's all I need. Thank you. Yep. That's about as simple as that went. Yeah. <laughs> Oshkosh. Oshkosh is coming. So uh we're at Oshkosh or and it's always kind of Oshkosh. it's always kind of funny because, you know, when we mention events like this, you know, people come back and listen to these episodes a year, two years, three years from now, three months from now, whatever, and they're like, Oshkosh, they're going to Oshkosh next week, Oshkosh is until july but you know we we can't temporarily put messages in these episodes the the message is either going to be in here or it's not so well, not with that attitude <laughs> so we're going to oshkosh invent the technology and if, you're, if you're listening to this in september we went to oshkosh but anyway um and we talked with great people and we will talk with great exactly people. should we do like past present and future versions of the next two minutes <laughs> um so we will have t-shirts we'll have spread aviation t-shirts available for sale We'll be uh, passing. We out will stickers, be. We'll be passing out stickers, business cards, uh, everything, and, and we'll be wearing our brand new white, oh, white man. uniforms, which Matt white uniforms. We got white spread aviation. It's about polos. the sweating. It's going to be hot. Yeah, I'm going to sweat through those things, and they're going to look awful because they're white. Now wear a white t-shirt. I would have much preferred black. Do you guarantee to sweat the if you're wearing black? Anyway, yeah, but yes, you're guaranteed to sweat if you're wearing black, but it doesn't show as much because it's black. Does not compute. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, we'll have Spread Aviation t-shirts available for sale. 25 bucks. Come find us. Um, and uh, and we'll happily spread our aviation t-shirts to you. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. It's after midnight again because Rob and I have a bad uh, history of recording these episodes pretty late. Um, we have been really recently. busy. You've yeah. been in and out of airplanes pr- probably more than I have. But yeah. You were in airliners. Been flying a lot in airliners. Yeah. But luckily, life is calming down a little bit. I've actually been in Boston for the last two weeks, which has been kind of nice. Your cat loves you again. My cat loves me again. 
And Kat is so happy now. She's like, you're here. And I have a kitten. Oh, yeah. Tell them about Bedford. Bel- Belmont. Belmont. <laughs> it, well, you were right in that it's a city in Massachusetts. But, uh, yeah, Belmont. And we got her from the New Hampshire uh, Humane Society. Oh, it's a him. I keep saying her. Uh, he was a rescue from Louisiana. And immediately upon seeing him, my wife was hooked. And Aww. when I saw him, I was like, oh, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're taking you home. Um and he was uh he was sick and so you know, he's been to the vet and he's been on medication. We felt horrible because he he had to get drops in his ears and so you'd you'd feed him and he'd be, be distracted by eating food, but then you'd have to kind of put the drops in and then rub it in and he'd he'd squirm and squirm and squirm. But uh, he's getting over that now and it was almost to the point where Whenever he was eating, he was just like, yes, I'm eating. Now you're putting stuff in my ears. Okay, let's get this over with. I want to get back to eating. He's all better. So he loves chasing. Uh, his. Uh, he's got a couple toys he loves chasing around. He loves chasing the bags of my new laptops. Well, yeah, you you presented new uh, <laughs> reactive targets for him. So yep. he was all like, woo, kill. <laughs> um, but no, he's great because he literally, he he crawls up into bed and he sleeps in between us. Hmm. And he curls up and he purrs and it's just he's just a sweetheart and he's wicked smart. He's mischievous, but like you tell him no, he looks at you. He looks at what he was biting, and then like he goes to bite it again and he side eyes you. So he gets it. Yeah, and you tell yeah. him no, and then he kind of stops and he licks it, and you're like, all right, good boy. And he goes to bite <laughs> it, like no, and he goes back and he goes like, okay, I get it. I know what I'm not supposed to do. So yeah, he no, he's wicked smart. He is really cute. I got my cat, which, by the way, Mauser's is my get day, gotcha day, whatever it's called. Uh-huh. I don't know her exact birthday, but I got her 10 years ago today. Today. Yep, 10 wow. years ago today. How old was she when you got her? She was like eight or nine months, maybe, they said. Oh, okay. So the thing is, I never saw her as like a super tiny kitten, only yeah. as like a little more towards an adult kitten. Yeah. So I have to imagine she was just, I mean, being a little tiny furball. Yeah, this one, I when never... we got him, he was three months, 2.8 pounds. Yeah. We went back to the vent. He had lost weight because he was, he was still sick. Mm-hmm. He was down to two. <laughs> and now he's up to like four and a half. Wow. You know, he's, he's blown up in the last yep. couple of weeks. Uh, they, they grow fast. They grow fast. Welcome to the Cat Talk podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so next, we're going to be talking about declawing. Apollo. It is awful. No, we're to not going to declaw. Do not declaw your cats. That should be our new like. Uh, Have your pet spayed. Right, right, exactly. We'll be like, do Help not control the declaw pet your. <laughs> yeah, don't declaw. Um, all right, so we talked about Oshkosh. Uh, next, uh, talk Apollo. about Apollo. What do you know about Apollo? Apollo Eleven. Um, so what's the date today? The seventeenth. So July sixteenth, nineteen sixty nine, was the launch date of Apollo Eleven, which was yesterday because we're recording this on Thursday. No, they... we're recording this on Wednesday. Well, now it's Thursday because yeah. it's after midnight. Yep. Somebody's trying to sleep upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it was July 16th, 1969. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know exactly when they landed on the moon, however. That's ah. one thing that you should share with us. Well, let's see. It usually, what was it? It's a three-day trip to the moon. Is that it? I don't know. I've only done it once. I've only done it once. Oh, no. It's, it's four. Well, so they did it in four, apparently. I don't know. So it landed on July 20th, 1969. <laughs> Okay. Yep. That'll be uh, Saturday. Cool. Yep. So it was Neil Armstrong and... uh, Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin and Edwin Aldrin Jr. Which he was actually the only one to go to the launch pad yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah, he went to the launch pad. Uh, I believe Neil has passed away, right? Uh, And Buzz is... Buzz was unable to make it. Yeah, Buzz is still alive, though. Yep. He's a fiery dude. Yep. I hope he's at Oshkosh. <laughs> <laughs> Has he ever been there? Probably. I, I oh, don't know. That'd be awesome. So who are we going to see at Oshkosh? We're going to see all Wagstaff? kinds of people. Well, hopefully Michael we Gullion? see Patty. Uh, we will probably see Michael at some point. Um, I want to kind of track down Spencer Suderman, uh, who holds the inverted spin world record. Wow. Uh, in his specially built pits that he called spinner three because it was the third aircraft he built for this particular thing and he had a propeller separate uh while he was ferrying the airplane from one location to another in in preparation for 
the uh, uh, another record attempt. But um, uh, yeah, he managed to dead stick the airplane into someplace in San Diego, um, and they kind of figured out what went wrong, and they put a new. Uh, I think they put a new engine and propeller and everything on it. So that's uh, that's all taken care he of. He dead stick the airplane into a field. No, into yeah. actually into a class delta uh, that's, airport. That's what I meant. A field, like an airfield. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, an airfield. And um, uh, there's there's even the there's a video online of the the audio recording and and uh, the flight path of of where the airplane went. And oh, well, kind of spiraled down over top. So uh, if you get a chance to check out uh, Spencer Suderman, uh, he's he's a he's a heck of a pilot and. Make some pretty entertaining, uh, pretty entertaining videos like how to pre-flight a pit special, and he talks about how it should sound like a drum, and he beats on it, and he's actually got like <laughs> drum sounds playing in the background. <laughs> so, awesome. uh, but yeah, he's uh, how does how does one enter an inverted spin? Well, you have to be, uh, you have to have a yaw acting on the aircraft and negative loading so we typically talk about positive loading positive g's here you have to be uh, negatively loaded so that the wing stalls in its other critical angle of attack so the stick or yoke or whatever has to be now in the full forward position not in the full so if you were in like knife edge could you enter a, a inverted spin from knife edge yes you could because it's all about the direction of the elevator at that point now it's the trend um of of a spin entry is from the horizontal to the vertical down. So even if you're knife edge, the first push uh, on the controls column will cause the aircraft to load negatively, and then the rotation will begin uh, with the uh, with the yaw, and then the aircraft's flight path will transition from uh, horizontal, following kind of a, a curving parabolic down towards the earth as the rotation continues. So yeah, it even if you were um uh, completely upright say if you were doing a a uh a an inverted loop so you started upside down and then you pushed forward and as you got to the top you would be upright in attitude but then the aircraft would stall and start spinning in transition as it went through the incipient phase into the inverted uh attitude and loading okay so yeah the inverted spin it's tricky because you got to know whether you're uh, the inverted spin is tricky because an inverted spin to the left looks like an upright spin to the right and vice versa. So you have to understand which way you're rotating to know which rudder you need to put in. And then the stick has to go from the full forward position to the aft position, which, Hey, if you thought you were in an upright spin, this would be the completely opposite thing to do to fix an upright spin. Mm -hmm. So, Making sure that uh, you understand what you're in, what you've done to get where you are, is going to help you with your recovery as well. And hey, the best, the best policy is really to avoid the spin in the first place. Uh, don't exceed that critical angle of attack, and if you do, be coordinated. Sweet. It just reminded me of something that I was reading the other day on the Delta Airlines flight that hit a, uh, a microburst. Like what, thirty years ago or something? Uh, Coming into DFW, into Dallas, yeah. Yeah, I was reading about this the other day, and it was uh, talked about like angle of attack. Yeah, stuff. Delta one ninety one. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, what about it? What did it remind you of? You just remembered reading. The I just thing? remembered reading about it. They, they, like, just yeah, just well, that whole accident. That that's a case study in. Kind of what not to do. I mean, the the guys weren't really sterile. Co a lot of changes came out of that accident. Uh, they weren't sterile cockpit. Dallas was still running approaches, even though there was a thunderstorm right on the approach path, short final coming into the airport. Why was? Why were they doing that? Because I don't know why. Because it was the eighties, and mm. they were like, "Oh, they're airliners. They can fly through." I don't know, huh. and. Um, yeah, the captain captain's like, lightning's coming out of that one. Where? That one right in front of us. <laughs> Dude, I drove today. I drove through some really awful dark red returns on the highway. Yeah. And you know what I could well, see? Well, it's a tornado touchdown in Boston. Oh, I didn't know that. Or I, 
there was like a at least a uh, there was a funnel cloud at least yeah my friend took a picture of it. it looked like it went it looked like it was at the ground wow so yeah i mean like i i was driving through that at 40 miles an hour on the highway and everybody had their their hazards on and you could barely see and the car was moving around and, and i know cars aren't airplanes and things are different and all that but still like i've flown through some intense rain and some light airplanes mm-hmm. and the sound when the rain is is drowning out the sound of the engine that stuff's intense and there was no lightning in what i was flying through there was no uh uh updrafts and downdrafts i mean it was all drowned drafts but uh yeah i could not imagine i could not imagine trying to put an airplane through what i was driving through today and you know you you talk about the lightning was hitting all around and now imagine i'm in an airplane staring at this thing in front of me like yeah there's lightning coming out of that and thinking it's a good idea to fly into it go around please (laughs) either go around or go around (laughs) hey tower we're gonna go around why are you doing that duh (laughs) i don't know i don't know yeah no, be sense. the be the PIC, but like you said earlier, I mean, we weren't there. We didn't. No, know we that. weren't there. Yeah, you know, a lot of things have changed since then. Yeah, the, and the culture, the culture changed. Um, how how pilots and air traffic controllers um, protect from the weather and guard from these things, and the culture is now more safety oriented. Like, hey, if you have to hold, if you have to go around, if you have to. You know, avoid the situation by whatever means necessary. Do it. It's no longer get from point A to point B. It's yeah, go around. It's fine. We're, we'll buy the gas. Mm-hmm. We're we're not we're not worried about that. Yep. That's cheap. Gas is cheap. And and human human lives are not not something that you can just go to the store and replace. You know, but we can we can buy more gas. It's fine. So anyway, yeah, I don't know why I brought uh, Delta 191 up, but yeah, that's that was a heck of a... Because a I, you had said stuff. something about AOA, and I talked about... I, yeah. I remember reading about something. Oh, they were maxed out. They were yeah. they were takeoff go-around power, and, and they were doing everything they could to keep that airplane from sinking. Yeah. And they weren't even in the middle of the microburst. They were off to the side. Oh, wow. They caught a side, uh, a side gust and some downdraft. Um they weren't in the worst part of it, but it, still, the the performance of that airplane was not able to keep them from impacting the ground. And a microburst can the relative have, wind must have been all over the place at that point. Yeah, no, they had the 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 indicated airspeed dropped off. It picked up initially as they were coming down the ILS, and the airplane got high on the approach, so they were pulling power back and trying to get back down on the glide slope. As they got into the headwind portion of this microburst, so they were seeing an increase in performance that was not commanded. So they were pulling the throttles back to try and stay on the glide slope. And the captain even said, "So wash it off a little bit." And now you start to think about, or it should be triggering in the pilot's brain the conditions for an upset, which yeah, yeah they're obvious. 20 up, 10 down, 45 degrees a bank. But the fourth condition is throttle position, unusual for phase of flight. And in this case, the aircraft was configured. It was on glide slope. It was on speed. And then all of a sudden it wasn't out of no input from the pilot. So now you got to pull the throttle back to a place where you're not used to it being for that for that phase of flight and you should be going hey what's going on here why did this happen and then as they penetrated the rain the captain goes you're going to lose it all of a sudden here they punch into the rain the airspeed starts bleeding off because now they're no longer in the headwind they're in the downdraft and as they in which is at that point essentially neutral they weren't getting headwind they weren't getting tailwind but as they proceeded the airspeed dropped off because now they were getting into the tailwind component of this downdraft. At, at that point, if they had realized, would there have been a recovery? Uh, at that point, it might have been too late. At that point, it but might have been too late. the portion, would they have been able to get out of it? Yeah, more than likely. It would have been, it would have been on the edge. Uh, and for where they were out on the sides, yes. They probably would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know what those words are. I think I know what you're singing. Is that Cher? I don't know. But... 
once they started to get into the downdraft. Okay, so let's let's assume let's assume here, and this is this is actually decently accurate. You can see downdrafts on magnitude of six thousand feet per minute, which is essentially sixty miles an hour, sixty knots. It's sixty knots. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you're approaching, and you're, and as this downdraft comes down and hits the ground, it kind of mushrooms out. And it radiates out away. So as you approach, you see an increase in maybe 30, per, uh, 30 knots on your indicated airspeed. And that's actually the, the wind coming from the ground, right? Kind of sort of. It's, it's spreading out. Like right. it's impacting. It's got nowhere else to go. So yep. it spreads out radially. Yep. So suddenly you see an increase in performance. You go, oh, well, hey, you got picked up some indicated airspeed okay well we'll scrub that off and, and the ground speed dropped off and you may not notice that one okay and as you fly along with that reduced power setting because the airplane did try to balloon with all that extra in indicated airspeed it made more lift now you start to get into the neutral wind the indicated airspeed goes away the ground speed comes back to you but now you've got a weird power setting. The airplane starts to settle and descend so now you got to come back up on the power and now you're swinging from you had 30 knots 30 knots of increased headwind, now suddenly you're going into 30 knots of tailwind, and you just had a 60-knot swing. You just had a 60-knot swing. Now, in our Cessna 172, even if we were doing 120 knots, yeah, that's no good. And we're typically not coming in to land at 120 knots. We're typically coming in 65, 70, 75. Mm -hmm. Okay, to suddenly lose 30 knots, we're down at 45. You think that airplane's happy? Nope. No way. No way. And you don't have the ability to climb vertically have, at 6,000 feet per minute. If you don't have flaps out at that point, you're below stall speed. Uh, sure. Sure. Okay. Or at least you're right on the edge. Mm -hmm. At least you're right on the edge. So do you have excess energy to climb? No. No. Can you climb in a Cessna 172 at 6,000 feet per minute? No. No. Okay. You've you've done made some poor life decisions at this point. You've made some poor choices, and uh, now you're in it. Now, I have been in a rather strong downdraft. I wouldn't say I've ever been in a microburst, but I was doing in uh, an IFR. It was a GPS approach in the Kent State. I was checking out a flight instructor in a brand-new G-1000 airplane. He was in the right seat, and the indications that I just told you about like started to get an increase in airspeed power setting came up and he had his hand on the throttle and as the power came up and the airspeed came up well the the rpm came up because now with that increased headwind it's like a windmilling effect the engine didn't have any more it had less resistance so it sped up he didn't add any throttle and i asked him why'd you add the power and he goes i didn't and I go, you need to add power now <laughs> because i immediately recognized that we were flying into a downdraft and we were at 3,000 feet, which is 2,000 AGL. We were not really that close to the ground. We still had lots of margin, but I wanted to open up that throttle, and I wanted to get this airplane climbing now as we got into the downdraft, and the airspeed went from uh, 120 down to 70 Wow! within about five seconds. I mean, it was quick. He was already at full power by the time we passed through about 90 knots or so, and... Uh, it wasn't much of an event. Yeah. Like, it was one of those things like, okay, what'd you learn? That was neat. Stay out of the stuff. Uh, good luck in the future. Recognize it. Take care of it. But the what is the shortest? Let's say you are flying. Now, if you hadn't had that reaction, if you hadn't added that power. Eh, we probably would have been fine. We would have been really low and wondering why the stall horn was going off and where all our airspeed went all of a sudden. And mm -hmm. It would have been a very confusing time. So as a GA pilot, how are you supposed to recognize microbursts? Because I know that the airliners have weather radar in them, right? That'll... Which doesn't guarantee anything, to but be honest. should identify some of them at least, right? Maybe, maybe not. Okay. Does Flight have anything about microbursts? Nope, because they're too quick, too short in duration, uh, but they're high in intensity. So it's, you have to, have to really see the signs as you're approaching them. So what is the shortest distance out of a microburst? I know this is an unfair question because you weren't you are not trained for this at all. You're not prepared for this. I'm at actually all. thinking. Sure. Um, so down, down bad. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm thinking it's if it's coming down and you're flying. So I, the shortest distance would probably be around it. 
No. Once, one, let's say uh, you're at okay. So you're at the point where you're seeing the increase in indicated airspeed, and the airplane's starting to climb because it's got all of a sudden all this extra relative wind. This is your point of recognition. What's your shortest escape path? Sure, to avoid turn. it is always better. But here, you've already not avoided it. A ninety degree turn. Okay, so now you turn ninety degrees. Yep. And all that headwind that you just had, it's now a side draft. It's now it's now come a side gust. And is that necessarily helping you? No. So and as you fly so along, it's, it's turning into a... So it was a 180 degree turn then? Okay, so now you 180 degree turn. And, and then you got a tailwind. And immediately, it's oh, all tailwind. So yeah. you, you make a 90 to the left, it's all tailwind. You make a 180, it's all tailwind. What's the shortest way out? Through it. It's through it. Yeah. Once you're at that point, Through you're it. committed and you have to keep going because any other maneuvering is no longer a straight line. And it's going to extend the amount of time that the microburst can influence your aircraft. Yep. That's not going to help you on the survival side. So through it. You have to go so, through it. So power, climb. Yeah, everything it. you got. Pitch for VY, full power. Mm-hmm. And... You don't expect to see a positive VSI. <laughs> okay. Uh, and hopefully you have enough altitude uh, to get it out. And, and really the, the biggest thing is to avoid it. So if you see a cumulonimbus cloud dumping rain, well, number one, you're supposed to avoid thunderstorms by 20 nautical miles according to the aim. Okay, so you're not even really supposed to fly uh, through that stuff. If you see it on your weather radars, a yellow or a red return. Don't go through that sucker. Okay. Green, eh, probably going to be okay. Well, speaking of which, in foreflight, when you look at the weather radar, I notice they have the rotation. If. If there's rotation. If there's rotation. They'll, they'll put rotation there. I assume you should always avoid that as well. That's probably a good call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 man. That's lift. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to go high? That's uh, that's what you got to get in the rotation, man. Just got to stick in there. It's the eye of the storm. Uh, all right. What do you say? You got to uh, do some online questions? Online questions. All what right. you got? The first question that we have of the day is, where did flaps come from and why do I need them? Oh. Wow, that's that's more a research project answer. Where did flaps come from? Um, I mean, I don't think I think this is more of of a maybe you can give it your best. Yeah. I'm 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 racking kind of my uh, my memory here, my brain to try and think of the earliest aircraft that would have had flaps, and I mean, really, I'm. I'm not coming up with much until maybe the 1920s or 30s. Um, I don't even think the the trimotor doesn't have flaps. Let's see. So I mean, the, the military aircraft are, are what I'm really thinking of, and and even some of those were very um, rudimentary systems. Like the the Spitfire had two positions. It was either up or down. There wasn't any intermediate uh, positions or anything like that. And then you have all your, your different flap types. Uh, I believe the, the Spitfire was a split flap. And I, I'm really doing all this from visual memory. Then I don't have a really a photographic memory of these airplanes. Um, but, I mean, it was very simple to just take a section of the wing and drop it down and and... You know, they knew that that got them more lift. They may not have understood really why, but, I mean, the flap is a great device that moves your trailing edge a little bit down, changes your, your cord line, and uh, therefore how that interacts with the relative wind, and basically changes the camber of the airfoil to increase lift. Now, there is a drag penalty there. You get both a little bit more uh, induced drag, but then you start to pick up uh, parasite drag beyond about 10 degrees of flaps or so. And so there, there, there is a, a penalty to having all that extra lift. Uh, you have a little bit extra uh, drag as well. So I, I think... Uh, Really, it came into play around the 30s, uh, late 20s, early 30s, 
uh, as you started to get away from your biplanes, get a little bit more into uh, the monoplanes. Um, and uh, with a biplane, you got two wings. You don't need, I mean, you're going to land really slow there anyway. So having a, uh, having two wings and a short field, I mean, it's it's easy to get in there. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But uh, once you started to get into higher performance, uh, you needed to have less wings for less drag to go fast. And uh, so then you had to have uh, some some lift modification there to help the low-speed handling for those airplanes. Okay. Well, uh, it is almost 1 a.m., so we'll keep it easy here for you. Um, this was actually a question that I had for you that I thought you gave a, a great answer to and a great explanation. Why does having an aft CG affect stall speed? Okay. So aft CG and stall speed. So what we're doing here, when we move the center of gravity aft, is that we're getting the center gravity and the center of lift closer together. I thought you said you were going to keep this easy. <laughs> it's one well, I mean, you So explain- as these two get closer and closer together, you have a reduction. You had a great analogy about the rotation on the wing. Yes. Point. Yeah. So as the center of gravity is, is ahead of the center of lift, um, what happens is you get a stronger and stronger nose down pitching moment uh, while that's happening. And so it takes a little bit extra lift to counteract that nose down pitching moment. Now, as the center of gravity comes back closer and closer to the center of lift, you no longer have as strong of a nose down pitching moment. So you no longer need the lift to counteract that. So the wing no longer. Uh, Ha, uh, has to carry the weight of the airplane and counteract this nose down pitching moment. It can just carry the weight of the airplane. Well, now it's doing less work, so you don't need as much angle of attack to do the same amount of work to do less work. So that allows you, since angle of attack and stall speed um, are related, you don't need the same amount of angle of attack. But you still have 17, 15 degrees of angle of attack available to you. So since that's kind of a fixed value, now you can start losing airspeed before you get to that critical angle of attack. So you can fly slower before reaching the critical angle of attack because the wing doesn't have to do as much work to counteract the nose down pitching moment. Now, there is another piece and part that helps that uh, is counteracting that nose down pitching moment. And that is the tail. However, the tail of the airplane is designed to be effective even after the wing has stalled. And that's by design because, Hey, if it does stall, you want to have the elevator authority in order to fix the airplane in order to reduce the angle of attack and recover from the stall. We do have a, uh, a blog post being written that's going to go into a little bit of detail about that, but its main focus is really on maneuvering speed. However, the relationships uh, are are very much uh, the same between uh, the effects of, of the two of those. So by having an aft CG, there yeah. would be a nose down pitching moment? No, less of one. Less of one. Yeah. So you were saying that the, you were just saying that the wing, the wing would be both providing the lift and counteracting the nose down pitching moment. Yes, yeah, so if you uh if you hold the you got your cell phone in your hand. Yep. And if you hold that straight out in front of you with a straight arm, straight out in front of you, ninety degrees to the ground. Yep. After you know, you can do this. You're you're strong, dude. You can do this for a little while, but after a while your arm's gonna get oh, tired. You did this to it? me already. That's right, I did. <laughs> I did do this too. Yep. But your arm's gonna get tired. And this is the same thing as the forward C G. So the pivot point, the center of lift is your is your shoulder that's that's the pivot point mm-hmm. okay so you have to do work to hold that phone up straight out but if we can reduce that distance bring that phone in and kind of bend your elbow and bring it all the way up to your shoulder 
Now how much work are you doing? Less work. But you're doing much less work. And the same thing happens with the wings. So as we move that center of gravity back towards um, the 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 pivot point, and I, I hesitate to say pivot point because the rotations of the axes go through the center of gravity. However, the force of lift is acting through the center of lift. But if we can get those two close together... Now the wing gets more efficient. So in this analogy, is my body the wing or is my body your the, the tail? Your muscles are the wing. My muscles are the wing. Yeah. Right. We're we're kind of eliminating the tail from this conversation a little bit. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Hope that helps. Yeah, it does. Hope it helps our listeners too. And we'll have a video. No, we won't. But yeah, I would love to get an animator to kind of yeah. to make better examples of this we stuff. Should. And that's that's something. If you're an animator Hello at spreadaviation.com. Please yeah. help us out. All right. Final question we have. This comes from Joe in that Utah. Was the last one. Nope. <laughs> Joe says, a bunch of buddies and I want to storm Area 51 next month. Is my Cessna 172 able to land on the runway there or is the runway too short? Thanks, uh, Joe. Oh, no. Your Cessna 172 will definitely be able to land uh, on the runways at Dreamland. However, you're going to be spotted uh, very quickly by the radars there. I recommend the Cessna 152 because it has a much smaller radar cross-section and uh, (laughs) (laughs) requires less runway. You heard about this, right? Oh, yeah. I heard about this. There's over a million people signed up to go do this. yeah, I, I've seen some funny memes come out of this, all about pictures of uh, A-10 warthogs that they are just like, yeah, well, let's do this. Uh, and uh, I saw one that was like a million and a half people rushing the gate and just one of these guys standing there smiling, and it was a picture of Will Smith from Men in Black <laughs> holding a neuralizer. <laughs> did, did, you yep. see, did you see the one about, uh, it was like some guy comes back from the future and said, hey, whatever happened to that? thing at area 51 and he's like you mean the massacre of 2019 (laughs) (laughs) anyway all right well i think that about wraps it up um this has been the spread aviation podcast banter episode um i'm matt i'm rob um check us out on uh, itunes spotify google play spreadaviation.com hello at spreadaviation.com pre-order your spread aviation t-shirt and we'll bring it to you at oshkosh otherwise we will have some with us uh, come find us. We'll be wearing the big white shirts with the Spread Aviation logo on them or our and blue t-shirts. And we won't be sweating. No, I'll be sweating. No, you Look won't. Look for the guy with a white slash gray t-shirt. Um, <laughs> the gray being water. Why does your sweat turn things gray? All sweat is gray on white. No. Oh, it is. No. All right. Well, we'll you have another episode. Coffee. No, I don't. Remember the cold brew episode? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, we'll have a highlights episode coming out soon. Um, you know, check that out. Which was supposed to be 24, but I it guess we matter. can make it 25. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, and uh, all right. We'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye. Fly safe. Fly safe. Fly safe.